Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nas. Uh. Yo, yo. Life. They wonder. Can they take me under? Nah, never that. Nah, yo. Yo, I come from the housing, tenement buildings, unlimited killings, menaces marked for death. Better known as the projects where junkies and rockheads dwell. Though I owe to it my success, the survival of the fittest every day as a child. I would think I'm a part of USA and be proud. Confronted with racism, started to feel foreign. Like the darker you are, the realer your problems. I reached for the stars, but I just kept slipping. On this life mission, never know what's next. Ancient kings from Egypt up to Julius Caesar had a piece of the globe, every continent. Yo, this Asia. Africa, Europe, France, Japan, Pakistan, America, Afghanistan, yo, this Protestants, Jews, Blacks, Arabics, call a truce, world peace, stop acting like savages, no war, we should take time and think, the bombs and tanks makes mankind extinct, but since the beginning of time, it's been men with arms fighting, lost lives in the towers and Pentagon, why then, must it go on, we must stop the killing, tell me why we die, we all God's children. You are listening to 3CR Radio. My name is Jackson. This is Uprise Radio. I'm in the studio with James. Hello, everybody, and um, thanks for joining in. Uh, we're, you know, I think um, episode four of mm-hmm. our um, new Uprise Radio show, and this week we are continuing on from a couple of weeks ago. It's a two-part show talking about China and, I guess, its impact globally and the kind of... Um, you know, sphere of what's happening in, in Australia as well. China, it's something I'm sure people have, have uh, seen a lot in the media. We're trying yeah. to give a different take on all of that. Yeah, it's certainly been generating a lot of headlines as Australia and many other uh, nations around the world deal with the growing uh, influence and strength of China as a nation. Uh, and it's obviously a nation with, you know, perhaps a surfacely different uh, makeup to uh, other nations that we're more familiar with. But, you know, when you scratch the surface as we were looking at last week, there are some similarities to the way that nation states behave in trying to exert their influence. But I think uh, this week we're going to be looking, I suppose, at the creation of stereotypes around uh, Chinese students and Chinese academics, Chinese nationals who may be working in politics like Gladys Liu uh, or who are in the public eye and how the stereotypes that are, I guess, most commonly trotted out, how they colour our view of Chinese people uh, and the intentions and, and how that's muddled with the intentions of the Chinese state. You know, I think too often, you know, through a lack of understanding, a lack of cultural and critical engagement, we just substitute uh, what we believe to be the intentions of the Chinese state uh, with the intentions of Chinese people who happen to be in Australia. Pardon me, that was my phone. It was very irresponsible. Made in China. <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. Uh, I swore I had it on silent, but it seems it's proving me a liar. But I think it's it's clear that there's been a lot of coverage of uh, China's growing influence. You know, there's a lot of dramatic language used about um, 
you know, invasions and, you know, influence and shadowy organizations, you know, like the um, the Confucius Scholars Association in universities and the, the previous um, allegiances of uh, MP for Chisholm here in Victoria, Gladys Liu, who's involved with a number of, you know, what are nominally kind of uh, co- commercial uh, partnerships groups that are looking to build uh, business opportunities between Australian and Chinese business, but they have ties back to certain arms of the Chinese Communist Party. I um, I went to a session a few weeks ago, just before a lot of the um, controversy around Gladys Liu kind of broke, I guess, um, at university. It was talking about working in government, and Gladys Liu was one of the speakers at that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I think what was interesting, I guess, is um, hearing her speak about her, you know, working, you know, really hard in different jobs and blah, 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 and um, kind of really climbing up the social and political ladder, I guess, to the, the point that she's, she's reached now. I think what something that is really interesting um, with her, though, and that she shares with Sam Dastiari is that... They both have been the highest fundraising individuals for the Liberal and Labor parties, I think, that we've ever seen, really. And, you know, from, um, I guess, you know, part of that comes from being from a, you know, kind of migrant background. And, you know, Sam was able to get a lot of, like, um, you know, family and friends and stuff to Labor Party events and and then do really well with, you know, connections through different areas to be able to fundraise a lot of money. And Gladys Liu similarly has been able to do that and I guess you know we what we've seen is when you're kind of blindly taking money from sources that if you don't look at deeply where that comes from and you know we've seen Gladys has has asked once in parliament has asked ASIO to vet people that she might be seeing or to look into all these funding services and whatever and they've said well we can't just you need to just look at that yourself and then we will say well you should have met with that person etc. But it is a really interesting space, I think. And it is, yeah, I think that everybody is scared by the idea, I guess, of um, foreign influence in parliament or into political spheres and that kind of thing. Um, You know, perhaps in this kind of Netflix era, we're just watch too many um, shows where that kind of thing might come out or, or whatever. But it is eerily similar, I guess, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, to a lot of the kind of Cold War rhetoric as well. Mm. I think it's it's been interesting as well to watch conservative politicians and commentators react to the revelations that Gladys Liu may have connections to the <gasps> Communist Party of China, you know, because obviously people like Bolt and um, Clive Hamilton, you know, trade on, you know, a fear of uh, that authoritarian other but there was no such censure when she's you know made you know like i suppose unsurprisingly but i think it's worth pointing out that you know she's made openly transphobic and homophobic remarks and you know there's been no such censure of that and equally you know scott morrison hasn't actually come out and censured censured her for her uh, previous ties to a, a foreign government uh which was 
you know, hugely problematic in the Turnbull uh, government with all mm. of the dual citizenship. Uh, and I wonder why that isn't uh, being raised again in this case. I assume that Gladys Liu is a, is a dual citizen or, you know, would at least have uh, a Chinese citizenship in her background, but that hasn't been raised. I think it's worth just playing uh, to give a bit of context as to the type of politician beyond being a Chinese person and, and member of some Chinese business associations that Gladys Liu is. So this uh, audio is from uh, Schwartz Media's 7am podcast, and it's Paul Bongiorno, the voice you will hear here. She's aligned with the conservative right of the party in Victoria. She's worked for Michael Suka, the member for Deakin. During the election, she was forced to distance herself from comments she made against safe schools saying Chinese people come to Australia because they want good things for their next generation. Not to be destroyed. Uh, they use the word destroyed uh, by these sort of um, uh, concepts of uh, same-sex, transgender uh, uh, and uh, intersection, intergender, uh, cr- cross-gender and all this rubbish. Lou initially denied that the comments reflected her views, but when a tape emerged, she pulled out of media interviews. So, yeah, you can certainly hear there a bit of an insight into the type of politician she is. But all of all of this, all of this nuance gets gets lost in this kind of wash mm. of, you know, Orientalist othering that seems to happen. You know, we spoke a lot last fortnight about the double standard that there is around research projects that universities do with American arms companies compared to Chinese security companies. So I think... What this does is it really stops us being able to, you know, we've got these Hong Kong protests going on. You've got all of this, you know, growing, you've got a growing kind of um, mobile class in China, growing middle class, you know, a higher level of education, more opportunity to travel overseas. So that provides opportunities for building solidarity between uh, people who want to build a better world here in Australia and people who want to build a better world in China. But we lose any of those opportunities when we keep kind of just crunching everybody, regardless of their actual politics into this representation of the Chinese state. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Well, I think, you know, we've really lost a lot of the real meat of of politics a lot over the last little while anyway and I think that's where a lot of the nuance can be lost because people aren't able to make a statement that is ground in you know a little bit more kind of understanding and and you know people I guess a good way of, of looking at it is is people look at headlines of things but they don't they don't read articles you look at you know what's happened in journalism over the last 10 to 15 years that other than um you know, the kind of things that actually that Schwartz Media that we played before that, you know, they, I think, do a, a great job with their publications, the Saturday paper, the monthly, quarterly essay. A lot of the journalists, that particularly that they write for the Saturday paper. Not to mention 3CR right here. They used to write for The Age or for, um, you know, journal- for publications like that. They used to write long form stories, but that but they don't exist anymore. That you know, the the age and all other newspapers are just full of these short little grabs of things that don't allow for that kind of space to develop. And yeah, I think three CR does at, at times, but still, it's it's a different kind of medium. I mean, I think 
certainly 3CR, allows a space to be able to delve further into politics. But mm. but still, you know, often um, our shows are not that long and it doesn't allow for, you know, we're running out of time always to, to try to get that story out there and to get as much information as we can. We're also also working as volunteers, you know, which, you know, funding of journalism is becoming a big problem as well, more mm. broadly, uh, funding of quality journalism. Look, we're going to be joined by a guest in just a moment, a woman called Shan Winscript, who is a uh, academic. She's uh, Chinese-born and she uh, looks into Chinese history, but she's based here in Melbourne, completing her PhD. And she wrote a piece for Made in China, an online uh, and a published journal, uh, about the kind of creation of uh, the 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 Chinese student and its link to white nationalism. But I thought just before we get Shan on the line, we'll play some music, but I also just wanted to play this short clip from South Park, which interestingly is banned in China, which you uh, told me, James, which is a bit ironic. But I think this uh, this clip kind of just, uh, before we speak to Shan, you know, she'll expand on all of this, but it, it highlights exactly how, you know, the fear of... Um, the fear of becoming a minority themselves or the fear of acknowledging uh, the, the terrible things done by Europeans all around the world, uh, you know, creates uh, its own racism. Uh, so this is Cartman uh, thinking about minorities. You guys, you guys, we have got problems of biblical proportions. Where have you been? I've been counting. Do you know there are 205 Mexicans here? And there are 190 black people. So what? So Guess how many white people are at the water park today? 143. There are actually more minorities here than us. Well, then they're not minorities, are they? What do you mean? Dumbass, if there's 60% of them to 40% of us, then who's the minority? The black and brown people. No, you're the minority. Do I look like a minority to you, stupid? The first time that South Park has been played on 3CR, maybe? Maybe the last as well. Who knows? <laughs> uh, just while we get Sean on the line, though, you are listening to Uprise Radio on 3CR. I just thought I'd play a bit of a track by The Gang of Four. The um, Just before we go to that, mm. say that the episode was called Banned in China, which um, aired a little while ago. And um, protest uh, people, part of the protest movement in Hong Kong, actually played, uh, um, screened it. In, um, to a big crowd of people outside is in defiance of Chinese government. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I'll just play this song while we get Sean on the line. This is A Gang of Four with Ether.
Listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Uprise Radio on 3CR. Uh, and on the phone now, we're joined by Sean Winscript, who's a final stage PhD candidate um, at the University of Melbourne. Uh, and her research examines unpublished personal diaries written by ordinary people in Maoist China during the Cultural Revolution. Uh, but she's recently written an article for Made in China, uh, uh, an online and published journal, uh, talking about, I guess, the creation of uh, Chinese students, mainland Chinese students in the media, and the role of white nationalism in fueling anti-Chinese sentiment. Uh, good afternoon, Chan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, you spoke to Chinese students in the course of writing your, your article for Made in China about their thoughts on Hong Kong. What did you discover uh, their, their range of political opinions were, I suppose? Yeah, so um, I went around to talk to the students because um, there was this ongoing discussion about the Chinese students as being, you know, ultra-nationalists, they're just crazy nationalists, jingoistic, you know, um, disrupting the Hong Kong protests. So there's there's been this sort of popular dialogue going around, and I sort of just took interest in this, and then I went around to talk to, um, you know, undergrads and postgrads at Melbourne University and other universities. And what I found out from their um, thoughts and stories is that they, um, you know, contrary to um, what's been assumed in popular media, uh, these students, they have their own opinions and often their opinions don't align with the party state's um, uh, uh, propagated narrative. And it's quite uh, uh, common for them to actually voice, um, you know, dissenting views um, and showing solidarity for the Hong Kong protests. 
Um, I don't know if we have time for me to probably read a short passage. No, I think, go ahead. So, uh, for example, one of the students, um, he first, when, when I asked him, you know, what do you think about Hong Kong? He expressed frustrations um, with the, you know, CCP's control of media, and he shows support for the Hong Kong protests. Um, and he says, I'm just going to quickly read this out. Mm. Uh, he says, I think those manlanders who are openly anti-Hong Kong have been manipulated by official media, such as the People's Daily. I and most of my friends and relatives are supportive of Hong Kong, though I personally feel pessimistic about the protest of them uh, achieving all of their five demands. But isn't it just great that they could mm. stand up and speak out? So, you know, you get a sense that there is this, there is this um, genuine support of um, ethos, there's this genuine support for, you know, democratic rights, such as free speech, um, Hong Kong self-determination, um, from, uh, uh, you know, responses like this. Mm. And also a nuanced understanding of the political realities at play, like understanding, you know, it's a, it's a far cry from the kind of stereotype of the brainwashed uh, Chinese yeah. mainlander. Like they are aware of the uh, propaganda that all mm. states release and mm. they are forming their own opinion within that. But it's, but but what is prevalent here in Australia is the, is that presentation of the stereotype. You know, what mm. do you think is driving uh, these stereotypes and and the anti-China rhetoric here in Australia? Mm. Well, in Australia, I think um, we need to talk about Australian nationalism when we come to think of um, all these you know anti-China or Chinese influence uh, discourse, which has been perpetuated in the media since somewhere. Um, since I think 2016, somewhere around there. Um, so underpinning um, uh, this discourse is a deep-seated Australian uh, nationalism, and this is an anxious Australian nationalism, right? Um, so thinking historically, uh, this nationalism is founded on secular colonialism, founded on you know white supremacist thinking, uh, a form of you know, 19th century race, race thinking, and it's also compounded by a sense of, you know, Cold War Orientalism, which mm. is a uh, comparably recent um, sentiment. Mm. So everything combined together produced this uh, produced this sort of um, fear or a paranoia, uh, a nationalist paranoia against um, a foreign threat. Mm. Uh, in history, we've seen um, this threat being um, characterized as, uh, you know, um, whether the African gangs or migrants, refugees, and now in this current context, this sort of fear is directed at, at migrants and students from the People's Republic of China. Shan, I wonder if you could speak, I mean, I think, you know, having um, researched around the uh, Cultural Revolution and, you know, I think it's interesting space, I think, when um, countries have undergone, you know, real revolution and revolutionary change and things intertwined with um, socialism and socialist ideas to then have revolts in that country. And the kind of um, space that, you know, people need to go through to be able to um, to get to that point, to see that there's a change that's happened and to recognise they need another one. But I wonder if you could, you know touch on a little bit about what you found through studying that kind of history? Sure. 
Um, I won't give you too much <laughs> story <laughs> or my thesis um, <laughs> because it's just too long. But I would say that um, you know we often think of the Cultural Revolution as a ten-year um, um, you know chaos or disaster mm. uh, in the Chinese official. Uh, media, Chinese official um, uh, historiography, national history, the Cultural Revolution has always been branded as a dark period. There's no substantial or nuanced, um, you know, approach to the um, to the episode. Uh, where I find from reading people's private diaries is that this, you know, this ten years, which itself has to be um, viewed as, um, you know, uh, consist consisting of multiple stages, multiple phases, um, it actually, uh, it's actually more complicated than, um, than just this image of, you know, dark um, period, dark, dark years. Uh, people in their diaries, you get a sense that people actually had a sense of polit- political participation. Uh, they were encouraged to be, uh, you know, national agent, agent of revolutionary change. Um, of course, a lot of this was, you know, state propaganda. A lot of this was for social mobilization. But the result is people did have a sense of political agency. They felt that they were direct participant in the building of socialist nation and in the in the mm. building of, you know, the proletarian world. So, um, some liberal thinkers would say they brainwashed, but I think uh, it dispels the myth of brainwashing because people did use this language, you know, this given political language mm. to pursue their own agenda. Sometimes that's transcending the state boundaries, even, you know, at, uh, at the expense of maintaining state order. We hear even today, you know, politicians and the media saying that the children in Australia and elsewhere who were protesting about climate strikes are being brainwashed mm. by their parents, by, mm. by the you know, teachers. And so I think, that, you know, that's a, it's a really common rhetoric that's put forward to anyone who wants to rebel against the status quo, I think. Mm. Yeah, this, uh, the, I mean, the state interest is always, uh, the Chinese state is the same. I think the state interest is always in the um, exploit, exploitation or mm-hmm. um, monopolisation of people's political agency. Mm. Uh, it's the same in Australia. It's the same in China. Mm. It's, uh, and it's really relevant right now. There's a lot of attempts to rob uh, young Chinese people of their political agency when, when we talk about the current discussion. I think there's a bit of a false binary set up often when talking about uh, the Hong Kong protests as well, that everybody's either pro-democracy, and, I, and I'm using inverted comments there because mm. we know that uh, so-called Western liberal powers have engaged in some of the most undemocratic, draconian and imperialist activities mm. all around the world. And then the other side is that then they're, then they're pro-Beijing. But of course, there's space in between those two spaces and there's opportunities for people in Australia and, and people in mainland China to walk to work together towards mm. a better world. What I know in your article you touched on some opportunities for building solidarity between mm. workers in Australia and workers in China. Uh, yep. you know, what, yeah, what do you have to say in that space? What do you think those opportunities are? Uh, I think, first of all, we need to um, be aware of um, uh, racial stereotyping or racial stereotypes. In, it's, it's critical in Australia uh, when we think about you know, building solidarity, for building international solidarity uh, in the local context, we need to think of, we need to foreground, you know, anti-racism in Australia, uh, Australian local context. So that means 
um, be conscious and critical of um, the uh, stereotypical representation of Chinese people and Chinese students in the media. Um, obviously, a lot of things have been said about the um, you know this sort of angry nationalist ultra-patriotic um, Chinese students in the media. But in reality, as I said, as I, you know, you, um, as I just read from the students' um, testimony, in reality, things are more complex than that. And we, we do and we can hear Chinese people and students um, speaking their political opinions if we're willing to uh, shift up focus from, from um, you know, stereotypes to more, you know, more positive political um, engagement or activities. But I also think it's important for us to recognize these, um, you know, I will call it a radical universal humanism, that there is no barrier between us and them. Um, you know, whatever your nationality is, there's no barrier uh, when it comes to our fundamental, you know, basic human rights and our, um, you know, our um, uh, aspiration for um, freedom from oppression. It's a shared... Uh, aspiration across the political boundaries, across national boundaries. So we need to recognize there is some shared common interest um, on the ground between the working people and between uh, students. And I think that should be the, um, the basis or point of, point of departure uh, for our political engagement with um, Chinese students. Um, in more material terms, mm. this means that we should, um, you know, rally, uh, ally ourselves with the students on an everyday basis um, for this for our commitment to to fight inequality, to fight system um, systemic oppression. Um, one one example is, you know, a lot of these international students they are dealing with um, uh, aside from the psychological you know, loneliness and mm. all these issues in, uh, um, attached to studying abroad. Mm. Uh, they're also prone to um, exploitation in the workforce. Um, the Migrant Center, uh, work, uh, Migrant Worker Center, which, is, um, which was established in Melbourne in 2018, they have, been a le- uh, they have been a leading force in fighting for international students, you know, working rights. And it's you know it's it's a very concrete and practical mm. uh, act of forming solidarity with them, and I think in this process of um, you know our co- recognizing our common fight, we can both uh, help international students to uh, found their political voice, mm. and we can also draw them closer to us uh, in our um, fight for you know things like uh, uh, workers' rights or the Hong Kong pro- Hong Kong pro democracy mm. um, cause. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, po- yeah a simple and positive action to support people to not be exploited in the workplace while they do uh, work abroad, and it's the the complete opposite of the behaviour at Monash recently with the banning of students from running in student politics yeah. when they're not legally allowed to work more than twenty hours. When of course we know that many international uh, students and otherwise do work more than that twenty mm. hours because they need to, and they're exploited uh, in that mm. in that process. But Sean, look, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on Uprise Radio. Um, yeah, really enjoy your work and I hope to speak to you again sometime. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. So that was Sean Winscript and that was Uprise Radio. We are out of time. James, another 
fortnight, another showdown. Mm. Well, we um, we had a great time. And I think we, as I said, we still didn't even get to really cover as much, I think, about the issue as we'd like to. But I think it's probably something we can come back to another time and maybe look at some of the, the bigger pictures around the um, geopolitical things. I know like Hugh White's book that came out earlier this year talks about some of the perhaps military or foreign policy kind of responses to China's rise and um, America's apparent decline. There's a lot more to talk about. There is. It's a complex world, always changing. Anyway, good to chat and we'll chat again in a fortnight. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.